This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The following is a presentation of the Speedsport Podcast Network. This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing. This is Forward Bikes. From the Speedsport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass. Here's your host, Kyle Armstrong. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bike Podcast on the Speedsport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. I'm Kyle Armstrong. This week we're talking with Ozzy Altman, who recently got inducted into the National Dirt Late Model Hall of Fame at Union, Kentucky at Florence Speedway. And he's going to come on here to tell us about his experience with uh, everything that he enjoyed that weekend up there and uh, a little bit more. And uh, looking forward to having him on here. So what's going on tonight, Ozzy Altman? You're the guest here on the Andy's Towing Hotline for the third time, and you're breaking the records here too. You're uh, our first third three-time guest here on the Forward Bike Podcast. Well, that's awesome. That's a privilege. Thank you. Yes, sir. So it, it was a great weekend up at Florence Speedway. The King family went out of their way to host the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies once again. Thanks to Kelly Carlton, Gerald Newton, and everybody for putting it together. Bob Marcos. It was a wonderful ceremony, and I had the privilege of being inducted along with some of my heroes in racing, guys like Ernie Elkins, a publisher and editor of Racing News for years and years, which made a lot of our promotional efforts possible by spreading the news of dirt late model racing across the country through his subscribers and readers. Yeah. And, of course, in that class also is Mike Boland from Cuba, Alabama, a legendary racer now also a member of the Dirt Lake Model Hall of Fame, which is so deserving on his part. He's won so many races in Alabama and Mississippi in that region of the country and has been a leader in the sport. Rick Eggersdorf from the great state UFTA of Minnesota, also in the class, and so many others I could just go on and on. But, Kyle, one of the things that I wanted to try to catch up on is I was a bit negligent in my acceptance speech in omitting a couple of people and not thanking some people that made it possible for me. And I wanted to try to go back and catch up on that, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to first say before you said that it was great to see you there that uh, that day and shake your hand. And I got your autograph on that postcard, and uh, that's something I'll forever uh, cherish. And uh, it was it was really great uh, for me to get to see you up there this weekend. And uh, I still want to plan a visit to come see you regardless, Some you know, where you're staying at there, but, uh, you know, it was good to see you out and about and getting to go to that, you know, getting to be in attendance for that, 
for that weekend there at Union, Kentucky. It was great to be there. And my right-hand man, my number one son, Zeke Altman, who helped me for so many years across America promoting races, he was there with me to assist me, and I couldn't have been there without Zeke being there. It was great to see you and a lot of other people. I tell you what, the highlight of the weekend, besides the great racing, was the first guy that grabbed my hand and gave me a big old brotherly handshake was Matt Daddy Dale McDowell. I hadn't seen my brother Dale in a while, and it was great to see him. He was a, one of the first people I saw there. And then along came the tall, cool, and Bob Pierce. And he gave me a big old hug, so it was good to see him as well. And then he, uh, he schooled little Bobby, the smooth operator, on how to win that opening night's race. So it's good to see those people, man. It was just such a pleasure. Yeah, and of course, uh, Dale McDowell won the uh, Batesville Topless 100 Saturday night, too. So uh, maybe you rubbed a little bit of luck off on them two guys there because Bobby won the North-South 100, of course, and then Dale won the next week, so. It's a couple well, of Well, I'm not going to take credit for Dale's success. He is an all-world champion racer to begin with, and he's been a long-time friend. He and his brother Shane for a long time, and their mother, the late Brenda McDowell. She's a great influence on me and a wonderful, sweet person. But I, I kind of wanted to go back to the beginning. You know, uh, Kelly even mentioned it, and I told you before, that I was working as the announcer at Golden Isle Speedway when the Have a Tampa Boat Racing Series came there, and David Roberts was their announcer. And my good fortune was his bad luck. He had laryngitis that night. And Jimmy Mosteller asked me if I would announce the series races. I said, absolutely. And so it was off to the races for me there. But I'm skipping a guy now. Jesse Guy, Jesse and Margie Guy. Jesse Guy, winning races from Lake Ross for many years on Golden Isle Speedway. And as I was working in the radio industry, part of my job was selling advertising. And I certainly made it my priority to go out and call on all the racetrack owners to sell them advertising for their events. And Jesse and I created a relationship. And I was also working on the air in the afternoons at uh, the top radio station there in the coast. And Jesse said, why don't you just announce my races on Friday nights? And I said, absolutely. So if it wasn't for Jesse, I would have never been in that opportunity and situation to let my seller hear me announce the races and invite me to announce the Dallas Tampa races. And then subsequently asked me to come to Atlanta and join the team as their traveling announcer. At the same time, Madge Logan was working for Dickie Murphy down at Volusia Speedway. You know, we lost Dickie just a few months ago. And he was a great legend in the sport. As he ran and promoted Volusia and Speed Weeks for many, many decades. But Madge had me come down there and work for Dickie announcing his races during Speed Weeks. And she also had a relationship with Roger Godby at Jack Raceways in Jacksonville, my hometown. So I announced there, 
as well as uh, up at Savannah at Overbrook Speedway, where Mr. Henry Sloan and his son Andy ran the races, and they had me up there. So I wanted to thank those people because it wouldn't have been possible without them. And then in later years, um, I became involved with Bill Webb and Karen Webb. They they're out of Pensacola, Florida. They own BKW Disaster Relief and Recovery, a company that comes in after hurricanes, storms, and floods, and rebuilds and rehabs areas. And they've done a wonderful job there. But they promoted races at Tazewell Speedway for some period of time, and then we teamed up and promoted races down at Locksley, Alabama, at Deep South Speedway, as partners. And we even put on a race in Waycross, the Battle of the Swamp, in recent years. So Bill and Karen kept me active in the promotional field and announcing for them as well. And all the while this was going on, I've got to reach out and thank my brother, the closest man to a brother that I have on this planet, Randall Chuck. A gang I was pretty much stayed at Randall's house in Solomon. We called it the old fraternity house, the racing fraternity house up near Lake Norman. And Randall and I go way back. Of course, I knew Randall when his father was Gene Cup was still racing. Also a member of the Dog Lake Model Hall of Fame. But kind of a weird deal. I came from Jacksonville, you know. And I knew Randall's brother, Ronald, before before I ever met Randall. But I didn't know him as Randall. His name was always Dude. And I met him in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, in some of my travels with some of the bands and gang from Jacksonville, better known as Leonard Skinner. And that's how I met Ronald, or Dude. And then it blew Randall away to find out later years that I knew Dude before I even met Randall. But Randall Shutt has been such a brother to me. So is another great racing buddy of mine from Jacksonville, Florida, David Cruz. Now, both he and Randall in my travels, they kept a roof over my head and kept me fed many a day and night when I was a vagabond race promoter and announcer, and none of it would have been possible without them. But I need to back up a step or two here. Before I started announcing for Bruton Smith and Humpy Wheel, Danny Myers, a multi-time crew chief of the year in the late model field. Danny Myers and Scott Blumquist lobbied Roger Slack and Whoopi Willard to bring me aboard as their announcer at Charlotte. Well, that blossomed into me going and doing the announcing at races at Atlanta, New Hampshire, Charlotte, Las Vegas, Kentucky, and I just wanted to say thank you to Danny Myers, another great brother of mine, and Roger Slutton. If it wasn't for Danny and Scott Bloomfish lobbying Roger Slutton for me to do their announcing in Charlotte, my announcing in the North Star World would have never happened. 
So I know it was all about dirt make models this last weekend. But a, a couple of other big families that I'm a member of, too, and proud of it, are the big block modified folks from the Northeast. They have been so kind and good to me in my trip to Syracuse and uh, Albany, Saratoga, and the race stops up in Northeast Weedsport and others. A good friend of mine, Dave Rothenberg, and his wife, Michelle, owned a big construction company called Cedar Peaks Construction for many years, sponsored Brett Hearn. And Brett is a good friend of mine, too. So I also wanted to thank my Big Block Modified family for encouraging me all along and helping me in my dirt late model endeavors. We, for many years, started the season off down at Volusia Speed Week. The big block modifiers were part of that, as were the world of outlaw street cars, which is another group of people near and dear to me. From Donnie Shop to Sammy Swindell and all of the other superstars of the wing sprint car family, they've always been kind and welcoming to me, and I owe them a deep debt of gratitude. So I thank the big block motorbike folks and the sprint car folks for helping to encourage me and lead me along the way, kind of adopting me. But I really meant to thank Randall and David Cruz, Saturday passed up at Florence during the induction and was negligent in not doing so. So I'm trying to make that up to them right now. I'll be indebted to both of them forever. They've been great brothers and friends of mine, and I appreciate them dearly. And I wanted to make sure I dropped their names and say thank you to them publicly. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that, Kyle. It's, it was an honor to see you get inducted. And, yeah, maybe you left some some off the list there, but I know you had a lot. It was probably a lot of pressure to get up there and do some public speaking. You hadn't done it in a while, but, I, man, you've done a great job with what you did there that day. And, uh and then at the end there, James Essex got you to re-announce the uh, famous Byron Burke offer and Scott Bloomquist thing, and then you kind of told the backstory on that, and I really enjoyed hearing that on the uh, at the induction ceremony too. That was a cool little touch, and uh, there's so many so many people you have to think. It's it's just it's just like uh, you're. I mean, you might have been an announcer, but that you were you're a real racer though, Ozzy, because. You know, all those all those guys that drive the cars and everything, they've got a lot of people to think that work on them and drive the rigs and do do all the mechanic work and everything. But there is a lot of people behind the scenes on what you did too, and it was uh, a lot more than people realize, you know, that, that, you know, that you've worked for over the years. And uh, it's, it's man, I'm, it's an honor for me to give you the platform to, to thank all those people for sure. Well, brother, I really appreciate that. I guess more so than anything else, more so than announcing, I take pride as being inducted as a contributor for my promotional works for over four decades. And people have no idea what we went through doing that. Wallpapering towns with posters and flyers. And you know, Kyle, the good feeling was after a racing weekend at any one of those tracks where we had packed grandstands, sold-out events, 
great racing. And when I would check out the hotel and ride out of town and look over at those convenience stores at the ice boxes and on the windows of the stores throughout town and see those posters and flyers still stuck up there, man, it was a great deal of satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, y'all's promotion brought a lot of uh, economic growth to all those little communities whenever the races would come to town, and it was a lot of your doing just to let the local people in those communities that are going to those convenience stores to, to know that there's a race coming up, a big race, and uh, have a Tampa race coming up or whatever it may have been, and you were there boots on the ground days before the event, weeks, months before the event, uh, promoting it and doing all that, and that's just uh, – that kind of stuff I don't think happens anymore, but that was the way it was done in your in your era for sure. Well, it needs to people need to wake up and get back to doing some of that. I mean, putting something up on Facebook or Twitter, that's all finding good. You're missing a bunch of bullets in the gun by not putting up flyers and posters and getting out in the public and going to the media. Okay. Now, I would always use what I called the mullet wrappers. Those are the local newspapers that come out once a week in little communities. And those people are starved for news. And if you give them news, they'll print it. And everybody in the community reads that weekly paper. So if they get the news about the race, then by golly, they're going. News is out. So today, people don't do that. They just put something up on Facebook, on their website, and Twitter, and think that's promoting a race. Well, they got a long way to go before they learn what it's about. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that's a little bit lazy to to kind of just only just do that kind of marketing because uh, everybody's not on Facebook. Like my dad, he is a prime example. He says, uh, I didn't know they were having a race there this week. I ain't on Facebook. He says that all the time. And he's that's right. He's uh, he's of the generation of reading the newspapers and stuff and finding out where everything was at and Unfortunately, there's not any of that anymore, really, and I'm not so sure we can bring it back. I mean, I, I think it's, I think that ship may have sailed on, as far as bringing those newspapers and stuff back weekly. But man, I sure do miss them days getting those, uh, that stuff in the mail and, uh, and you know, or at the racetrack. There were so many back in the day. You had national, national speed sport news, obviously, with you know that's who we're doing the podcast with, and you had the national dirt late model. Uh, paper i think it came out every week and uh, the racing news and i mean there was just so much content and i guess now it's just all on the ww dot whatever's website now which uh yeah and is, another, is fine, another but. late great guy in that field was sam holbrooks out of mississippi with behind the wheel it was another weekly racing paper that was wide read and widespread and got the news out about the big lake model events. Kind of like Ernie Elkins racing news. I mean, the National Speed Sport News for many years was the racing Bible. And I appreciate and respect Chris Economaki for his mentorship and the things that he taught me over the years. But there were other ones. And you and I both know the ages of newspapers whether they're the weekly ones I just referred to or the daily ones, that ship has sailed, as you said, and it's an internet world. But why not use the internet in combination with the other app? 
items and tools that you have before you to truly promote events. I agree with you. Like even just a regular, uh, just a regular news, local newspaper in these little communities, they, uh, I don't think they, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to name any things. I don't want to throw no one under the bus, but I can't understand why they don't send their results and maybe a little, uh, briefing. And I know, I know it's been done before, but it's like there's nothing in the in the local newspapers about local racetracks anymore, at least not in our area that I've seen. And uh, and I still pick those papers up and read them from time to time, and there's hardly anything in there. There's hardly even anything in there about NASCAR anymore. So right. uh, there's sure not going to be much in there about short track racing, and that's, that's, that's a shame. Well, I've heard it directly from publishers' mouths of those kind of papers. They say, you people... They were talking to track owners. They said, you people want me to put something in the newspaper about your race before it happens. You don't never tell me what happens at the races. You never give me any results or news. Now you just want free advertising. Buy a damn ad. Well, it but would, you're true. It would be advertising if they would just at least just put the results and a couple of, send a couple of pictures and a little, it wouldn't even take much effort. Just some publicist there at the racetrack, a little, you know, press release thing and let them, let them print it. Like you said on this podcast before, you said you sent faxes to Chris Economaki and uh, he said, don't worry about how many words it is. We'll edit it. And that's, I mean, that's, that still should stand true today. I think. Yeah. And I still believe that these little papers are starved for news. If you give them news, they'll print the whole thing verbatim. Yeah, I agree. But, and you got to sell it, sell it, sell it. You got to make that press release exciting. I agree. That's what sells the tickets. I agree, hundred percent. I think the only example I can think of right now that has uh, really good news media is uh, Bowman Gray Stadium in Winston Salem. They they have their local news channels out there every Saturday covering the event, and it's on TV, just like they do college foot or. I mean, uh, excuse me, high school football, you know, they cover it like that. And then in the newspaper on Sunday morning, that's got the results and some pictures of what happened. And I don't live in Winston-Salem, you know, so I've never had my hands on that newspaper on a Sunday morning, but I understand that, that they do still do that up there. So that's old school and that's, uh, you know, hats off to them. And maybe that's one reason why they get 17,000 people in the stands. Who knows? No doubt that the chick fights. <laughs> Yeah, they had a wild one up there this past Saturday night. I don't know if you've seen the highlights of it. but No, I didn't yet. But, you know, Bowman, Bowman Gray rules in the grandstands. Air pulling is allowed. <laughs> yeah, they let you get away with about anything up there. I wanted to add one more thing about old school dealing with the media. Back in the day when I'd roll into a town that I'd never been to before and wanted to go and find the television stations, radio stations, then I would get me a panorama of the town skyline and look for those antennas. And then we didn't have GPS back then. I would drive around towards those antennas and get those antennas. And that's when I knew I was at the radio station or TV station to go and promote the events. And back in the early days, I had some of the racers that would go with me to those things. Guys like Ronnie Johnson would load up and take his time and go with me to radio and TV stations. And it made a big difference. 
Yeah, 100%. I guess that's, in a way, that's kind of what we're doing with this podcast, but this is uh, 2023 media, I guess, but we're we're doing our part to uh, try to keep the stories told. So, Indeed you are, and keep up the good work, brother. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I, man, I just had a thought come to my mind here before we started this, but one of the uh, one of the memories I have of uh, one of the more recent races you called, it was uh, at Charlotte at the dirt track over there during the short track nationals, and Kyle Strickler, David Strimmy, you know where I'm going with this. They got into it on the track and was throwing slide jobs at each other, and they finally wrecked. Well, they came to rest right in front of you there on the uh, on the fence in turn two, and it looked like you were on the fence telling the people to back up and get away from the fence, and you were right there on the scene for all that. What do you remember about that particular night? I know we're probably going off base, but... Uh, no, you're not off base. I had a cordless mic, and I was uh, hanging out with my Cedar Peaks friends, David Reifenberg and the gang was there. They sponsored Brett Hearn and the Modifieds. And we were just over that little railing there behind the backstretch fence. And it came to a head with Strickler and Stremmy. And Stremmy was out of the car. And he was uh, laying a remedy to Stremmy's head. Fisticuffs. Stremmy still had his helmet on. And Scrimmy's car was hard in the wall. And all of a sudden, this long-legged blonde comes walking around. I said, get off this racetrack. She said, you don't, You must not realize who I am. I said, Ashley, I certainly fully know who you are. It was Ashley Scrimmy. I said, you look down, you see that fuel on the ground right there? Get back on the other side of the fence right now. So... You know, so often you find a crash at a racetrack and everybody runs down to the fence. That's the last place you want to be. Yeah, so no people doubt. need to use more common sense. No doubt. It's a safety thing. And I, people always, like you said, there's fuel running down the track and all it takes is somebody to drop a cigarette ash right there. And it's a, it's a blaze of glory. And uh, you're right. I mean, it's people just don't think. Hey, man, I wanted to drop another thank you on some people. James Essex. Bob Dillner, Wayne Castleberry, and the Lucas Oil folks. This past weekend up at uh, Florence, they invited me into the tower to come and do some announcing of some heat races and concerts. And I was chomping at the bit to do so. But it was just a bit too precarious and getting me up there, a little too dangerous. And I didn't want to put that on the King family. They had done so much for us and for me already. I didn't want to put them in a bad situation with trying to get me up to the tower on a scissor lift when they common sense just said, oh, that's just a little too dangerous. Let's don't do that. So I said, thank you for the offer, but we'll do that another time. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I wondered if they, uh, I wondered if you had any offers to do some announcing. And that's cool to hear that you did. And, uh, and and also, I, I guess, uh, yeah, that's cool. But I wanted to find out, like, you you hung around and watched the whole race there that night. Where did you watch it from, and what did you think about that? I thought it was one of the most. I've been to like ten out of the last twelve North South one hundreds, and I think that was the that was the number one. That was the top right there. That was a great race the other night. Yeah, I watched this from directly behind the flag stand in the bottom row of grandstands on the front stretch, and I had two. 
special guest with me, Tom Witham of Barberton, Ohio, and Steve Iori of Cincinnati. We all served in the military together in Spain in the late 70s. And for years now, this time of the year is when we raced NASCAR at Kentucky Speedway until that came to an end. But Tom and Steve would gather with me, and we had a reunion every year. And they were with me at Florence, and their comments about the racing is, oh, my gosh, it was just phenomenal racing. It really was. I mean, I, yeah, that's, had they ever been there before to Florence? Years and years and years ago, Steve from Cincinnati had, but he said he never remembered it being like that. He said it's just crazy. The late models and the modifieds. Well, when they when they had that big of a purse on the line and that much, you know, on the line, seventy five thousand to win or whatever, and they shook up the starting lineup by inverting the heat races and all that, and putting some of the better cars in the middle of the pack. I mean, that was just a a great recipe for uh, for a great race. And I I do have to tip my hat to uh, the Josh King and that whole King family and everything for Josh coming up with that format. Josh did a great job in prepping that race track and accommodating a huge crowd. That's a major event in Cincinnati now. That it is. And I, like, yeah, I just want to say that that was a great format. I really enjoyed the, uh, the three day format with the points and all that and, and lining up the feature that way. Um, Ricky Thornton jr. Started back there and in, in, in the back and, or actually didn't even make the field, had to use a provisional and started like 23rd or something like that and came all the way to the lead with about 10 to go. Yeah. And got passed again by Bobby Pierce. So there's no excuse to anybody that says, well, we started at the back and we couldn't go to the front on that particular night because that wasn't no rubbered up one groove racetrack. That was a heck of a racetrack. And, uh, man, I really got to tip my hat to them guys. And uh, if anybody's listening to this and has never been to Florence or whatever, you don't need to be sitting on the fence next year. You need to be sitting in the grandstands or or, or on the property there at Florence. It's, it's uh, man, what a place. It's a must-see event. you got to go. It is, and it's the uh, – I've heard them say before, but it's the epicenter of dirt lake model racing and uh, just just as good as it gets. I mean, it's it was awesome. But you just think about that area. You've got Florence Speedway, and then just up the road is Eldora, and just 30 minutes west of Eldora is Winchester. And years ago, you had the old Dayton Speedway. Larry Moore has told me so many stories about that place. So the history at Florence with the Lefebvre family and the Tea Gardens and now the Rice family, but Jerry King and Mona King and Josh have done a wonderful job creating one of the biggest events in short track racing with that North-South 100. And I was so honored to be there and watch it. Yeah, and it sounds like to me you had one of the best seats in the house there, too, right in the middle of the front stretch. Um, even though you were toward the bottom there, I don't think there's a bad seat in the house there, the way that place sits. it's uh, I stood in the infield the whole night because of the fact that there was absolutely not a seat to be found in those grandstands anywhere unless you had a reserve ticket and or, or maybe came in there on Thursday and laid your blanket down, which I only got there on Saturday. So it was... I was in the infield the whole time and actually 
shot a little bit of video footage for Chris Ferguson's YouTube channel. So anybody listening to that, a shout out to that. You can check out some of our footage we did. But yeah, I mean, it was a great, uh, great show for sure. Glad you got to be there and see it. Hopefully you'll get to go back and see it next year. Yeah, Kyle. I've been invited to do, return to my roots. A good friend of mine from St. Louis, Steve Stevenson, has purchased Golden Isle Speedway. And he has invited me to come down there and announce the races for him. And I think that's the path I'm going to take. So that's going to be some good news for me. But we'll be jumping and shouting in the tower down at Golden Isles here before long. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to, for that. I uh, I usually uh, try to go to Golden Isles every year for the, for the Super Bowl of Dirt in February. And it's always – it was some good racing there this year, and it always usually is. They got a great facility down there. And, you uh, that's going to be good to get you back down there. When's the last time you've been to Golden Isles? Two years. Okay, because I was going to say it's changed a lot, but maybe not in two years. No, I but take it's... that back. It's been like six years since I've been there. Yeah, they've uh, they've continued to make improvements. They've got that new grandstand there on the front stretch and a big tower. It's incredible. It's, it's super nice what they've done with that place. I've been there since that was happening. But... For many years, so many of my friends from Jacksonville race there, Terry Mock, David Cruz, Roger Gatch, Chris Keller. And uh, I went there as a kid, as well as Speedway Park in Jacksonville, Waycross, Savannah, Columbia, South Carolina. Savannah, we used to race like four nights in a row back when I was a little kid. And you see all the greats back then. Eddie McDonald's senior, Rance Phillips, the fugitive. But I wanted to just take an opportunity to catch up and make up on some thank yous. David Cruz out of Jacksonville, Florida. Randall Chupp, well known as a talented champion racer and crew chief. None of it would have been possible without them two guys. So thank you to them. Thank you to Bill and Karen Webb, Roger Godby out of Jacksonville, the late Dickie Murphy, and all the other people that have helped me. Thanks to you all and all the fans along the way, Kyle. Absolutely. I'm one of them fans. I've always in, uh, always enjoyed hearing you announce, Ozzy, long before I guess we became friends. I was hearing you announce, and I've always looked up to you, and uh, now I'm honored to honored to call you a friend man it's uh it's it's been a pretty cool ride for sure yes sir one more time for old time sakes i can't swear to it but the stripe i think it was a burkhopper yeah that was that was cool the way you told the story there you were on top of the tower there and you you weren't keeping up with the lap numbers and all that and you uh that was, I was about to fall off the roof <laughs> who'd you say had to pull you back from falling off Greg Stevens' girlfriend at the time, Kim. Yeah, that was great. Well, I, one of the other things I always liked hearing you say was just talking about them coming coming under the flagstand. You'd say they flash beneath the flagstand and, and just stuff like that that you just don't – you just – you're you've probably been often imitated, but nobody's ever duplicated what you uh, – what your style of announcing, Ozzy, and I think that's a true honor. Well, I love doing it, 
I think I made it clear Saturday that what really makes it special for me is leading up to the race, doing all the promotional work, the sweating, wearing the shoe leather off your shoes and the tires off your tight car with the miles on the road, that when it finally comes race time and you walk up into that tower and turn the mic on, it's fun time then. That's right. So the hard work's over then, it's fun time. Yeah, that's right. But a lot of people don't really realize all that hard work that goes into it and uh, blood, sweat, and tears just to get to that point. Yeah, if you want it, you got to go after it. So you're talking about Jacksonville, and you grow up in Jacksonville. Uh, of course, you mentioned already Leonard Skinner. I'm just curious if you ever uh, came into contact with any of the bunch from Leonard Skinner or saw their shows or made any contact or connections with any of that bunch. Most definitely. Grew up playing uh, Pop Warner football against some of them, Sandlock baseball with some of them, and riding bicycles on the north and west side with Alan Collins. We were little terrorists back then, and then he went on to become one of the greatest rock and roll guitarists of all time and initiated me into some of the biggest trouble I've ever been into. <laughs> Man, I want to hear more about God rest all of his that. soul, he's gone too. Yeah, no doubt. We just recently lost Gary Rossington here. Uh, about, yes, a couple of months ago. Yeah, and that was sad. That was the last uh, living link of the, uh, of the yeah. original band. That's right. Which Ricky Medlock was in it originally, and he's still around, but he went off and did Blackfoot and did all his stuff. But, yeah, man, I I mean, I think in uh, one of those Leonard Skinner books talks about Ronnie Van Zant going to riding his bicycle to some of those races at Jacksonville and watch, standing in the trees and watching Wendell Scott win his only well, we all race said, and all that. We all, there, were, there were trees on the side of the racetrack that we would all climb up in and watch the races from. So you were out there with them, huh? Absolutely. So from you, a young age. You just could have just as easily wound up being a roadie and going on the road with Leonard Skinner and setting up their stage if you would have wanted you to. You know, Brownie Brown did that. Did he? He did. I talk to Brownie all the time and he hadn't I don't think he's told me that. He'll he'll hear this and have to call me and tell me about it, I guess. Yeah, Brownie Brown was a roadie with Skinner for a while. And I also wanted to thank the car owners that are now gone. Carlton Lamb and his son Kemp of Dunn Benson Ford. I owe them a debt of gratitude. Kemp has been so kind to me since I've had this stroke, he and his wife Kathy. And I thank the Lord for them. And people like J.D. and Pat Caver out of Ruston, Louisiana that own King Merchant's car. There's just so many people. The Hendricks, the Hedrick family, Joe Hedrick, the GVS car that Billy Moyer and Freddie Smith both drove. So the list goes on. The road goes on forever. The party never ends. Well, Ozzy, I think that was a that's a good way to wrap it up here tonight, I guess. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again sometime. And like I said, you broke the record here. You've uh, third time here on the podcast. And uh, hopefully it's not the last, my friend. Well, thank you, brother. All right. Well, congratulations again on, the, on your induction into the National Dirt Lake Model Hall of Fame. An accomplishment well earned by you and uh, all those people you thinked, and that's uh, 
you know, a lot of people, lot, it takes an, uh, takes an army, you know, to, to put all this on. And, uh, you've been a big part of the, of the army and, uh, you know, putting these races on and promoting them and announcing and, and, uh, being there for all this. And you've got some stories to tell and we've probably not even scratched the surface yet, but we'll, uh, we'll wrap this one up tonight and we'll do it again sometime. Well, y'all come see me soon. I'm golden. I was bound to the microphone. Sounds good. That, that'll be good. We'll come up there and uh, hang out with you in the tower or something. Come on, brother. All right. This has been another edition of the Forward Bike Podcast in the books for this week. I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong, for Ozzy Altman, and the producer, Rich Colberth. We'll see you next time. Keep on racing and don't spin out, as Ashley Ness would say. <laughs>